Hello and welcome to Happy Hour on the Fringe. Fringe Arts is Philadelphia's premier presenter of contemporary performing arts. I'm Zach Blackwood, an artistic producer here at Fringe Arts, and today just I invite you to pour one up and enjoy our conversations with some of the most imaginative people on this plane of existence. Today we're joined by Nicole Canuso, artistic director of Nicole Canuso Dance Company based in Philadelphia, who will be presenting her piece Being With Home in this fall's Fringe Festival. The performance experience is a meditation on separation and connection as two solo audience members separated by venue are connected in virtual space. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. Hi there. Um, how are you this this fine uh, Monday? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> so usually we start this podcast off by asking people um, what beverage they're having, if they're having one, because it's technically going to come out at happy hour at some point. Okay. But I have to admit, I'm just having a seltzer. I'm having a seltzer, but it has a lemon in it. Oh, okay. Very, very glamorous. Very glamorous. Um, and if you're joining us in the audience, feel free to grab a seltzer with or without a lemon or whatever makes you happy um, that you like to listen to while you talk about art with your friends. So Nicole, before we dive into being with, I'd love to just orient the audience to your practice to a certain degree. Nicole is a, a greatly celebrated dance and theater and installation artist here in Philadelphia. And in the last handful of years, Nicole and her company have increasingly backgrounded the idea of professional dancers, whatever that means to you, um, in favor of interactive encounters that invite audiences to a permissive performance environment in which they are the dancers. Um, it's a really soft experience, one that's deeply foregrounded in care that kind of uh, slides the audience member into that role in a way that um, feels almost seamless or um, natural for them. Does that feel fair, Nicole, or do you want to add anything about kind of how you've arrived here? I appreciate that description. Um, yeah, I think there's, I feel like there's three not mutually exclusive strands of my work, and one is interactive um, technology. The other is audience being invited into uh, installations or environments that are built and the third is personal narrative, um, sometimes my own, sometimes that of the dancers, but sometimes that of the audience members themselves. And I feel like each work leans into one or, or all three or two of those strands. Um, and being with is kind of in, in all three very heavily. Uh, but I'd say the one that you're asking about, this idea of bringing the audience members to the foreground and having the performers support that, it was a slow evolution that I think started in 2007 um, with Wandering Alice, which was a piece that took place at Christchurch Neighborhood House in Old City. And it, the impulse was really to take, I'll back up a little further and say I had started making very comedic performances where I was uh, the interloper in these dances where I didn't know what was going on and like I was in would make eye contact with the audience. So it had a kind of clown energy to it. And I, I felt like I really wanted the audience to play this role of being the one who was in, the one that was in the middle of all of it. And I thought I wanted to get inside of a building and lead them through um, an experience that was 360 degrees around them. Uh, and that really began it. And I felt like I had to take a crash course on how to make that kind of work by 
by making Wandering Alice. It took place in all three floors of the building, and there was people singing. We took place on the staircase, um, and you were really immersed in the show. And from there, I feel like I took, it was almost like I tried to cram everything into that show. And then from there, I started to pick apart um, the aspects of audience interaction that I was most fascinated by. One of them being the agency that you could offer someone uh, as an audience member to bring their own memories and experiences and bodies and interests um, to a guided encounter. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the best way I think uh, that you talk about it is, is this intimate guided encounter, my favorite way, because it, it talks about the exchange in um, a capacity that the, the, the artist and the audience are both perm- permitting each other to kind of enter each other's space in this way that has felt all the more kind of um, charged now as we're moving through the world. Um, as I, just to take coronavirus completely out off the table for a moment, like, <laughs> doesn't that feel nice? Um, what was the impact that you saw on audience members or that they described in that experience? You know, because I, I, I don't think of myself as a dancer and I remember experiencing uh, a piece of yours called the Garden of Forking Paths at uh, Bach and the Women's Gym. And that was such a powerful experience for myself to see my own kind of just vernacular movements reflected back at me by people who I had already kind of um, placed in my mind as professional dancers. So seeing my own kind of what I consider <laughs> like goofy and uncoordinated way of moving and, and experiencing the world differently reflected to myself made me feel, I don't know, a different appreciation for the effort I put into moving through the world every day, whether I think of it as graceful or poised or where I expect it to be or not. And I just wonder if that's something you're a- attempting to inculcate in people is this feeling of uh, creative agency and, um, maybe what impacts that's had on people and your experiences so far. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's beautiful to hear. It's this piece, the garden of working paths actually is taken from a short story, uh, Louise Borges short story of the same name. And in it, there's, there's this labyrinth uh, that no one can find the labyrinth and there's a riddle inside and it's a riddle about time. And there's this moment when he says, well, um, what's in a riddle, what's the one, a riddle about time, what's the one word you would never say say all time and so in a way the garden of forking paths for me was a riddle about choreography and dance in which the whole thing was revealing to people that they were always making choreography and they were always dancing and that we're in fact all dancers and to take anything that they do and frame it and reposition it so that it becomes a part of choreography was the underlying impulse and so they they, they get sent inside a, a literal lab, labyrinth where we, we created a labyrinth in a big space but they have an intimate set of voices in, in their ears, in the headphones, helping them find their own dance, sometimes alone, sometimes with other audience members, and sometimes with dancers or performers that were hired. Because <laughs> so I kind of think of all of us as dancers, the audience members and themselves, but there's a difference between rehearsed and unrehearsed as opposed to mm-hmm. trained and untrained. Because I was sort of trying to frame it as we're all trained, to be alive is to be trained in whatever it is that your experiences have given you. And for the rehearsed dancers, part of that training is knowing this labyrinth and being able to lead you. But putting them on equal footing with the audience members who come with just as much knowledge and experience and desire and interest and then mm-hmm. seeing what happens. 
And the, the guide was such an important part of that, this, this voice in your ear, right? The, this, this changing voice that felt like a unified perspective and also several peoples. Um, and the headphones themselves serving this dual purpose of giving each person an individual route, but also um, giving each person the feeling that they were alone together. Um, and I just thought that that was so, so powerful. Yeah, that's great. Alone together is really a big piece of it, um, that we're all always alone, but we're also all together. And so it felt important for the guides to keep switching, like you said, so that we had different ages and different genders. And there was a lot of, um, uh, so that people would feel like they, the voices reminded them of different people in their lives or were familiar and unfamiliar in various ways. And there was also a nice shift or an important shift for us in the difference between instruction, suggestion, sound, and music. And so we would try to oscillate between all of that. So sometimes the sound is a support and sometimes it's a guide. So Nicole, knowing that this experience of interfacing with art digitally uh, from their own homes is something that might be new to a lot of our audience members. Um, one question we're trying to pose to all of our Fringe Festival artists this year is what can um, audience members expect to experience as they sit down for being with home, maybe in the first couple minutes, and what should they do to prepare themselves for the experience? Well, with this experience, it's quite intimate. There are only two audience members at a time. And the audience members are participants, so it's very interactive. You'll be seeing your own image and someone else's image, and you'll be invited to share stories about yourself and hold other people's stories and listen. And you'll be guided to some uh, creative activities together that uh, include um, creating something with the memories and objects that populate your own room. We guide you through that, and it's, there's a sound design that supports it. Um, and by the end, you'll have a window into this other person's life. And that's so powerful, just as we think about how we interface with people right now, um, knowing that we're all doing a lot of Zooming, a lot of video chatting. Um, we really do meet with people and get the information we need from them, frankly, and then kind of disappear. Um, and this idea of... Uh, seeing into other people's homes in that moment has been very, very powerful. Watching uh, even our news anchors and uh, television personalities now have to show you what their homes look like as they're, they're kind of delivering um, their, their daily missives to us has been deeply impactful. Um, do, are you thinking about kind of the ways to, to recontextualize that Zoom space and that digital space with this work? Absolutely. The goal is to invite people to see their homes in a different way, to see themselves in a different way, but also to just use the Zoom platform in a way they may not be using it on a daily basis, um, yeah. just for something a bit more choreographic and poetic. And that thread of, of being alone together um, that uh, was so prescient even um, years and years ago feels differently uh, present in the work now, um, as all of us kind of have this general sense of of loss, of um, lonesomeness in the world, um, but also this greater um, imperative to think collectively, to think about the care and empathy for other people uh, who might not be immediately visible to you. Um, it's just so powerful the way that this work has really um, 
existed in this way that uh, feels so enduring, uh, but at the same time, so deeply topical now. Um, I know that that wasn't your intention in making the work, but um, it's really changed in, in its meaning, um, even just over the past few months. Can you speak a little bit about the development of the work so far um, and kind of how that's changed maybe because of uh what's happened in the world and then maybe how that's changing the work concretely and logistically, of course, but maybe how you're, that's changing your thinking around the impact of the work as well. Sure. Well, to back up, the project started several years ago um, as uh, with a goal of being in two places at once with an installation that we built. Um, And so that, that uh, is on hold, but that, is happening, it's still happening, but not yet. Uh, And so what will happen is you'll arrive at a location that we've designed and enter a room and you'll meet someone in a large scale video screen that isn't actually there. And so this idea of of presence and absence um, becomes highlighted. You meet also dancers who are actually in the space. So there's, there's real space interaction and distant space interaction in that live installation. When COVID hit, we, we were planning to premiere that. And that goal was to connect people across neighborhoods, but also across countries. You, know, you could be in one country and the other person could be in another country. Um, and so we were already thinking about this idea of, of distance, distance that's perceived and distance that's actual um, in space and how to think about absence and presence along both of those lines. So it was already in the ether, loss, embodiment, distance, communication uh, in the work. And so we realized we had to start rehearsing online. And it was actually a quite efficient shift at first because uh, the script was already there to support these themes. Uh, But what was really different was that people were in their own homes, which is much more vulnerable and intimate. And so we started to lean into that and respond to that. Also, people were feeling um, the, the effects of loss and the effects of fear, and the, the tone started to, to shift in response to uh, what was going on around us. And now we realize we're creating a sister piece. It's like we were, we were on our way to make this installation, and a roadblock came, which was that we couldn't get together to make it. Um, but then we, it's almost like we took a side road in order to keep going, that side road was by using Zoom. And that allowed us to keep moving forward. And what I say to people is that on that side road, I started to notice, oh, look at that stream, or look at that pony prancing along, and all this beautiful scenery on that side road that I couldn't access on the main road towards the main installation. Um, and so it felt like a, a hidden gift to be able to make this version of the show before then returning to our original idea, which was to build this installation in two neighborhoods. Yeah. Is that helpful? Oh, that's absolutely helpful. I mean, it's it's so powerful to think about in this initial kind of um, conceiving of the piece, the audience member was originally prescribed or instructed to bring one object from their home that felt um, significant to them, but like something that they could, could let go of. Um, and I remember I brought... Uh, 
a tiny ceramic pig. I have a dog at home named Pig, um, who's one of my favorite uh, parts about being alive. And I brought uh, one of my many pig-themed things with me um, to experience that workshop version of the piece. And then I've also done a, a workshop version of the, the digital version of the piece. And the experience of bringing your whole home with you to the piece is much different. <laughs> it's, it's a similar impulse, right? But it's it's compounded. It's the next size up. And to see the experience of people who I know very well, whose homes I hadn't seen or hadn't seen from the uh, in this kind of framed setting is powerful and it makes it feel like we're together uh, when we can't be right now. So it's just, I, I, I thank you so much for the work you've done on that piece. I have a, a few silly questions <laughs> if you're, if you're available for something, they're not that silly. They're just maybe. Um... I'll take them seriously. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> so this is a question that I will be game to answer as well. Um, so that just in fairness uh, for the sake of fairness here. Where's your favorite place to be alone in all of Philadelphia? And conversely, what's the place in Philadelphia you can't wait to share with someone who's visiting for the first time? I wish I was prepared for these. Oh, I'm Uh, sorry. I really did want like a gut because I I haven't thought about mine if that's helpful. I'm really just going to shoot from the hip. um, Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking about uh, like right, right now because we're in the middle of this pandemic and I've been taking walks straight from my home and uh, I live in South Philly. So I just walk straight to the river and to be alone and to all of a sudden hit the river. And there's this Walnut nature trail that's between uh, Walmart and then uh, uh, Washington Avenue. Mm-hmm. That strange um, change of scenery and you can see, boats and buildings falling apart, but then also beautiful flowers and sort of like a collage of Philadelphia um, hmm. in its in its glory and decay. Yeah, that's I, I so I moved to South Philly a few years ago and one of the first things that I really started to enjoy was walking to the Delaware River because previously as a West Philly person, it's Google River was like where we hung out. Um, and it's just such a different environment. It feels um industrial to a certain degree, but then there's also so much kind of historical ephemera and kind of almost amusement to that area. And it's, it's empty. And at the same time, so, so full of history. Um, And it's also just never that populated, but it's, it's so beautiful. What's yours? That's a good one. Oh, my favorite place to be alone in all Philadelphia. Um, There is an observation deck on the west side of Fairmount Park, kind of near the Japanese House and Garden in the Horticultural Center. It's called the Pavilion in the Trees. And you can find it like um, on Google Maps and then go out there and just sit down. And it's just my favorite place to like sit down and read books. And I can hang out there for like hours and hours and hours just by myself. And I think partially it's because it reminds me of what everything looks like at home, like in Mm -hmm. Florida. just to be surrounded by that much green and vegetation and um, just like this living humming environment just very much reminds me of like my backyard as a child. And there's something about it that just, I, I have to to go back there whenever I can. That's interesting. That's the other place I go to when I drive is the uh, Japanese garden. 
Yes, it's so beautiful. And again, it just feels like like the world just opens up and there's this place that just feels like it doesn't belong almost. Like it's just <laughs> like this this environment that's just cropped up here and is so well taken care of and it's such a place of education and learning. Um, and yeah, it just kind of pops up out of the trees. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I want to go there right now. <laughs> but if I'm taking someone here for the first time, and they've never been to Philadelphia before. I know that this is tacky, but I have to take them past Cheesesteak cheese Vegas because it feels <laughs> like it just says something about the city. And it's also just at this intersection of um, so much kind of cultural change in Philadelphia. Um, it's just, it's powerful to, to experience. And it's also just a cute weirdo intersection of like six streets. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I can't go there because I lived there for 10 years. And so oh my I God. it's like living on the boardwalk. I have a friend who lives <laughs> over there right now and she, she likes it now, but she's not been there that long. Um, but she's right next to that, that Jerry Blavitt mural that they're presently covering up. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah. I would be awakened at 3am to people throwing up on my front yard. But oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So what's your favorite place to show a new Philadelphian or somebody who's just in town for a little while? Oh, I think it's, I, I love walking behind the art museum along Kelly drive. There. There's like geese and um, boats. And then if they're, you know, art people, I'll take them to the Rodin museum. But I do love that. I, we that's that was like the the cool place to go on a date when you had absolutely no money when I was an undergrad at Drexel is people would just like walk um, all the way behind the art museum through the Azalea Garden um, and then take the little river path back um, and that was that was how people used to date each other. <laughs> I mean, and if all the trees are in blossom, it's magical. It is. It's so beautiful. And there, you see people on all of like the rented bicycles and scooters. It does like, there's so much beautiful stuff in that area of Philadelphia. Um, and once we can all be together um, out in the world again, I'm so excited to get back out there. Well, Nicole, it's been lovely speaking with you about this piece. And I'm so excited for uh, a greater swath of people that finally get to experience this and to stay with you through de- the development to the uh, real space version of this piece moving forward. Um, and I, I'm just really, really excited uh, to have uh, worked with you through the kind of changes that have met this piece and to have just seen um, the the agility, the poise, and the thoughtfulness with which you've kind of um, handled this whole moment. I appreciate that. It's been wonderful working with you. Well, thank you. But that's not interesting to people. Uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> But I, as much as I, as I as I love you, I do think we have to close this all down. So okay. where can people find out more about being with home and how to support Nicole Canuso Dance Company moving forward? Uh, well, there's a website, uh, NicoleCanusoDance.org. There's an H in the word Nicole. Don't forget that. And um, on Instagram, Canuso Nicole. And on Facebook, Nicole Canuso Dance. And we'll place all of those in the episode description um, so that uh, you guys can make sure that you're, you're checking out our friend, Nicole. All right. Thank you so much, Nicole. And uh, thank you so much to everybody who listened to us tonight. Uh, for more information on the entire slate of Fringe Festival 2020 programming, 
please visit us at fringearts.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Fringe Arts. And again, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Happy Hour on the Fringe. <laughs>